0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Veterinary Voice with Dr. Jackie, episode two. Today, we will be talking about cranial cruciate ligament disease in dogs. Today, we have a special guest. He is my personal friend and colleague, Dr. Matthew Morgan, who is a board certified veterinary surgeon. We are going to be talking about why cranial cruciate ligament tears are so common in dogs, any breed predispositions, what your vet is looking for during examination, diagnosis of a cranial cruciate tear treatment options for cranial cruciate tears, and outcome and recovery from surgery. Hi, Dr. Morgan, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dr. Jackie. Thanks for having me. Um, So, Dr. Morgan, tell us a little bit about yourself and what your background is.
1: Well, like you said, I'm a veterinary surgeon. Um, Undergrad, I went to Cornell University um, and then did my veterinary school at St. George's University. Um, Following uh, St. George's, I went back uh, to Cornell for my last clinical year. Um, And then I did two years of an internship in Long Island before going down to Florida for my surgical residency. Um, And then went back up to New York uh, where we actually met and we're working together for two years. Yes, we did. Um, And now
0: I'm currently working as a surgeon in Brooklyn. Well, that's excellent. And, you know, most of you guys, if you actually listen to the introductory episode, it kind of, again, goes through what it takes to become a veterinary surgeon and all of the internships and residencies that go along with it. So if you haven't listened to that intro episode, it's kind of good to, to get to know what a specialist actually goes through um, in order to become a surgeon. All right. So now that we know a little bit about your background, um, we're going to talk about cranial cruciate ligament disease. And as a surgeon, would you say this is the most common injury that you see?
1: Absolutely. I'd say the rupture of the cranial cruciate ligament is, is by far one of the most common orthopedic uh, cases I see um, and you know definitely one of the more common procedures I do as far as stabilization in the knee. So, you know, all in all, probably about 60% of our caseload um, is is from the, the ACL or from the cranial cruciate ligament.
0: So I would agree with you. This is definitely a very common injury. So let's give the listeners a little overview of the anatomy of the cranial cruciate ligament.
1: So the cranial cruciate ligament is uh, one of the most important stabilizers inside the knee of a dog. Uh, and in dogs, we call it the cranial cruciate ligament. In people, they call it the anterior cruciate ligament or ACL. So basically, it's the same thing, ACL versus CCL that we call in dogs. Another important structure uh, within the stifle, or basically in dogs, we call it the stifle, and people will call it the knee, um, is the meniscus. And the meniscus is a uh, almost like a shock absorber within the knee. It's in the cartilage-like structure that sits between the femur, which is the thigh bone, and the tibia, the shin bone. It um, has other important um, roles as far as stabilization, not just shock absorption, uh, but load-bearing, uh, appropriate reception as well. Um, and these structures within the meniscus can be damaged at the same time as um, a cruciate ligament injury
0: yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So are there factors that have been implicated in craniocruciate cruciate ligament disease in dogs?
1: So while well, the exact cause of craniocruciate cruciate ligament disease is still poorly understood, um, despite extensive research, um, some factors that do contribute are one bone conformation, um, excessive tibial plateau angle, um, which we'll talk about a little bit more when we're talking about the treatment for stabilization, um, and age and patient weight. So overweight patients um, definitely have a higher risk of having uh, CCL ruptures.
0: Yeah, that's definitely good to know. So is this always an activity-related injury, or can this also be degenerative over time?
1: So acute traumatic injuries uh, resulting in a rupture can be seen, but I would say it's the minority. Most of the time we're seeing patients that have have these clinical signs that are kind of waxing and waning with just a slight limping uh, that can improve with a little bit of rest and then we're seeing some worsening after periods of activity. So it's generally something that is a little bit more slower onset than people when we're talking about ACL injuries, when we're talking about more like a football injury or a skydiving injury. With dogs, it's more of this degenerative process that doesn't happen right away.
0: Okay. And are there any breeds that are more predisposed to having this happen?
1: So there's a wide range of breeds that we can see this in. However, um, there is one study that shows the highest prevalence um, was in the following breeds. The Rottweiler, the Newfie, the Staffordshire Terrier, the Akita, the St. Bernard, and the Labrador Retriever. A genetic mode of inheritance has been shown in the Newfie uh, and Labrador Retriever.
0: Okay. And what are some clinical signs that an owner should be looking for?
1: So the... The clinical signs an owner should look for um, can vary from from patient to patient. Um, The condition generally always causes some sort of rear hind limb limping. Sometimes it's a weight bearing uh, where they're just offloading on that side. Other times they're completely holding that leg up. Um, So... For what the owner is seeing, it's normally a favoring of that limb. Um, Sometimes it's difficulty rising. A lot of times we're seeing a limp that's a little bit worse right after they rise, let's say in the morning after a period of rest, and they start to warm out of it. So they start using the leg a little bit better as the day goes on. Um, And then sometimes we can see an unwillingness to play or unwillingness to jump on the bed or run up and down the stairs like they normally do.
0: Yeah, so I would agree definitely kind of that waxing and waning sign like you mentioned is is something that I see most often in my patients. So there's also another interesting and really important fact regarding cranial cruciate disease in dogs that we both like to share with our clients and Dr. Morgan, what is that important fact?
1: Right, good point. Well, that important fact is that about 40 to 60% of patients that do have a cranial cruciate ligament rupture on one side go on to rupture their other side at some point in their life. Um, The reason being is that dogs are a little bit different than the reason why people rupture their ACL. So in dogs, we have this degenerative condition that goes on that slowly weakens the ligament over time. And if that's happening in one knee, there's about 50-50 shot that it's happening in the other knee.
0: Yeah, and I think what we both have noticed is that there's not really a time frame. So most owners will ask, Hey, is you know, am I gonna be able to get my dog to heal through this surgery? So there's not typically a time frame that we see. I've definitely seen patients and I'm sure Dr. Morgan has, mm-hmm. where they can rupture unfortunately a week later after having their one ACL fixed, or I've seen patients that have actually ruptured it three and four years after the first surgery. So there's really no time frame that's known in between the the cruciate tears themselves, but there is is unfortunately, like he said, the, the 40 to 60% of patients that unfortunately go through that. Yeah.
1: And hopefully it's not at the same time. We have seen patients that come in that have uh, tears to both of their ligaments within a very short period of time. And those patients usually require some sling assistance um, to be able to walk until those are stabilized. So. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So how does a veterinarian actually diagnose a cranial cruciate tear? So
1: first we use a gait observation, so watching a patient walk. Um, The second thing and probably the most important is our physical examination where we're actually manipulating the leg. So with our canine patients, a lot of times we can tell instability within the knee just by palpation, and with a certain palpation, we can say yes or no, definitively, do we have a tear within that cruciate ligament. The other thing that's very important is um, x-rays. And x-rays, we usually like to have our patients sedated so we can have a proper alignment within the joint that allows us to see the most amount of information. So having specific orthopedic radiographs done.
0: Okay, so what do x-rays show you that help you confirm your diagnosis of a cranio cruciate tear?
1: So x-rays are really helpful in showing some of the signs that are associated with a craniocruciate ligament rupture. The big misconception is that x-rays will show a ligament, which they won't. So x-rays show bone versus soft tissue. So what you see on an x-ray are some of the signs that a patient does have a cranial cruciate ligament rupture, which are one, joint effusion, so basically swelling around the knee, fluid swelling around the knee, some degree of osteoarthritis, which are seen as bony projections that are in the articular surface of the joint. This kind of the third thing that we're looking for is is there anything else inside that knee that could be potentially contributing to the issue? So things that are very uncommon, like bone tumors, infections, fractures, or articular fractures. So things that we're not expecting, things that we're not feeling just on palpation. The X-ray tries to confirm that. The Kind of the second thing that we're we're doing when we're having our patients sedated for those x-rays is also doing a second palpation while they're on the x-ray table. And with that palpation, we're looking for two different things. Um, One is the cranial drawer test, and the second is the tibial compression test, which are showing us the same thing, which is instability within the stifle. So if we have a cranial cruciate ligament rupture, we should have instability of the stifle. And it's helpful when the patient is sedated because their muscles aren't as tense and it's a little bit more obvious when we're having that instability that's secondary to that, that cranial cruciate ligament rupture. With our canine patients, most of the time we're just doing x-rays and palpation, whereas in our human patients, we're doing the MRI. The reason being with dogs that we don't go ahead with the MRI is if we get the information based on x-rays and palpation, great. We don't have to put that patient through a, a longer MRI to get information that we already have, and the second reason is just cost.
0: Yeah, absolutely. An MRI can definitely be a very expensive test when you can definitely just use your your x-rays and your own you know hands to diagnose the problem. So once you diagnose a cranial cruciate ligament tear, what are some of the treatment options for patients?
1: So there are many treatment options available for cranial cruciate ligament ruptures. Generally, the best options are the surgical intervention where we're stabilizing the knee joint. But I've seen some cases where we have some concurrent disease that may prevent us from doing surgery and patients that are, are not quite as stable or patients that have severe heart disease or kidney disease where putting them under surgery is not the best option.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that as well. So if surgical intervention is the best for the patient, how do you decide as a surgeon which procedure is best?
1: So best options depend on several different factors, and this is why you really have to get to know your patient. So what we want to know is what is their level of activity at home, their age, their size, their skeletal conformation. The degree of ligament instability, the degree of osteoarthritis within the knee, what our owner's expectations are. So sometimes our recommendations are a little bit different from a police dog that we want to get back into service versus a 15-year-old couch potato that really is just going for two walks a day and then sitting back on its bed.
0: Yes, I know the activity level is, obviously plays a major role in which you know procedure you decide to do. So when you are about to perform a surgery, are you actually fixing the, the ligament itself during these procedures? Well,
1: that's, that's an important part. So with these procedures, our goal is not to necessarily repair the cranial cruciate ligament itself, um, but to stabilize the knee so we're not having movement within the knee. So due to the biological and mechanical influences, um, and especially that degenerative condition that we're talking before, when you're trying to repair the actual craniocruciate cruciate ligament itself, a lot of times you're having that degenerate and fail. So with our dogs, we're trying to stabilize it by other, ma- other ways, by either using an extra capsular ligament prosthesis or taking advantage with some of the uh, mechanics or biomechanics and geometry within the knee. Um, to take away the need for the ACL.
0: Yeah, definitely. So the ACVS, or the American College of Veterinary Surgeons, actually has a great article that summarizes the surgeries that are performed. And they kind of break these surgeries into two main categories. So the two groups are what are called osteotomy-based surgeries and suture-based surgeries. So Dr. Morgan, what are the two osteotomy-based surgeries that are performed, and what does osteotomy-based actually mean?
1: So osteotomy-based surgery means that we're making a bone cut within the tibia, and it sounds crazy, uh, but this has been around for about 20 to 25 years, and for larger, more active dogs, we tend to go more towards the osteotomy-based procedures to stabilize a a CCL deficient stifle. The two main osteotomy based surgeries is the TPLO, which stands for the tibial plateau leveling osteotomy. And then the second one is called the TTA or tibial tuberosity advancement. So they both do the same exact thing. One is a circular cut on the top of the tibia. The second, the TTA is an advancement of the tibial tuberosity with a plate and with a cage, but they're absolutely doing the same thing where we're trying to eliminate the thrusting forward of the stifle um, or of the tibia in relation to the femur.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like these osteotomy-based techniques are definitely better for your larger breed and definitely more active dogs, since they have a more you know consistent, successful outcome.
1: I definitely agree with that. I'd say the dogs that are Usually over 50 pounds, the dogs that are very, very active that we want to return to full normal activity, uh, we're generally recommending these osteotomy procedures. So our military dogs, our police dogs, our agility dogs are generally getting the osteotomy based corrections.
0: Okay. And I'm sure a lot of people want to know, are there any complications associated with these osteotomy based surgeries?
1: Yeah. So just like any surgery, there are complications associated with them. And actually I did one of my uh, residency research papers on this. With these uh, osteotomy type procedures, we can see one failure of the implant. So fracture of the implants, we can see fracture of the tibia. These are usually on dogs that are a little bit too active after surgery. So one patient that we saw that actually had a fracture of the implant jumped out of the back of a pickup truck two weeks after surgery. So it's usually major trauma that there are a suffering uh, to cause a failure. The other thing that we're seeing is um, incision site infections. So it's really important our patients keep those funny e-collars on so that they don't lick at their incision sites, because incisional infections can go down to the bone and can cause issues with the implants, where we'd potentially have to remove them in the future if they do get infected.
0: Okay. so now that we have given a brief overview of the osteotomy-based knee surgeries, Dr. Morgan, can you tell me about the suture-based techniques?
1: Absolutely. So the suture-based techniques are also called the extra capsular repair, sometimes the lateral suture or the X cap for short. They're all basically trying to replace the ligament with an extra capsular, so meaning outside the joint, a strong suture. So sometimes that suture is a braided material, other times it's a nylon. But what we're trying to do is place that suture in the same orientation as the cranial cruciate ligament and prevent the thrusting forward of the tibia in relation to the stifle. So this is going outside the joint and going in the same direction as the patient's uh, naive uh, cranial ligament.
0: So it sounds like, too, it's a little bit less invasive than, you know, your osteotomy based procedures. And that being said, what types of patients are actually best suited for this type of suture procedure?
1: Yeah. So it is a little bit less invasive than the osteotomy-based procedures. With this, we're not making a uh, true bone cut. Um, we're also not making quite as large of an incision. Um, and the tissue dissection is a little bit less. We have a little bit less bruising. With this type of procedure, we're going into the joint, which we're starting off the same with the, both the osteotomy and the lateral suture procedures where we're going inside the joint, inspecting the cranial ligament. We're inspecting the meniscus and then following the inspection there, we're closing back the joint space and then we're placing our prosthetic ligament.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like more of the guys that are smaller breed, a little bit inactive, or maybe if they have other complications, that this may be the procedure for them. Right, exactly.
1: So our toy breeds, our very small breeds, our Yorkies, our toy poodles, our chihuahuas, a lot of times they're getting this extra capsular uh, technique. One reason is that they're smaller, so they're not going to put as much tension on our prosthetic ligament that we're putting in. So we're, we're not seeing quite the degree of stretching or breaking of this prosthetic um, as we're seeing in the larger breed dogs.
0: And as you just mentioned, it sounds like just like the osteotomy-based procedures, there are some complications associated with the suture-based procedures as well.
1: Exactly. So there's some common complications that have to do with patients with activity afterwards which are involving failure of the prosthesis that we put in. So dogs that are trying to run or jump too soon after surgery can either stretch or break that ligament prosthesis we're putting in and if that does happen, we're kind of back to square one where we have an unstable stifle joint again. So for for patients that have this type of surgery, activity restriction is very very important to limit the complications. Other things that we can see incision site infection, just like with the osteotomy-based procedure. So these patients too have to have that funny e-collar on so they're not licking at their incision site. And that's usually for the first two weeks after surgery.
0: Well, that's all really a lot of great information. So now that we've gone through kind of the ins and outs of, you know, how we diagnose craniocruciate ligament disease, you know, in the surgeries, we're actually gonna answer some questions from you, the listeners. The first question is, can you prevent a cranial cruciate ligament rupture? And there are definitely a couple things that you can do, but unfortunately, if your pet has a genetic predisposition to this condition, then despite what we do, they may end up having a tear anyway. So a couple things that I recommend are keeping your dog at a healthy weight, just like a human, uh, routine, low impact exercise to try and keep the leg muscles as strong as possible. So definitely routine walking, even doing some other. Hill walking, you know, on the beach, that gives you a little bit more resistance and even swimming. Um, finally, joint supplements are just like in people, there there's so many out on the market, um, many of which that I do feel can be helpful. So, you know, I'm not going to discuss which supplements may be best for your dog because honestly, there are really so many that are out there. So I suggest that you recommend talking to your primary care veterinarian about any supplements you may be interested in starting. The second question is, does having a meniscal tear at the same time as having a cranial cruciate tear prolong surgical recovery time? I do feel that patients may subjectively take a little bit longer to start weight-bearing again after they've had surgery if they do have a concurrent meniscal tear. However, it doesn't seem that it has an impact on long-term clinical outcome as long as the meniscal injury is treated at the same time as surgery. Thank you for tuning in to episode two. I'd also like to thank Dr. Matthew Morgan for joining me on today's episode. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at theveterinaryvoice at gmail.com. Also, make sure your pets get an annual physical examination, even if they appear healthy. Until next time, everyone.